Hi, and welcome to 5 Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. You know, the holiday season can exist in your heart whenever you desire. Sure, the Christmas tree still out on the curb on Coldwater Canyon in late March can get it maybe a bit depressing, a little burnt orangey looking, but the holiday spirit really lives within you um, and in your cup of cheer. So don't feel like your cocktail menu is bound by the calendar. It's bound by what sounds good to you, and I'll admit, kind of on the weather too. Accordingly, today's episode features a couple of drinks, eggnog and the Yule Tidal Wave, that may seem stuck in December, but at the very least you'll find welcome all winter, if not in the seasons around it. I'll also discuss a special bottling of real McCoy rum from Barbados, hopefully while you still have a chance to locate a bottle. And you know what? One Northern Hemisphere person's summer is a Southern Hemisphere person's winter, so in that evergreen spirit, I present episode 76 of Five Minutes of Rum. Hey, now, before we get started in the episode, let's talk about the elephant in this episode. Um, Frankly, it's been a while between shows. Now, normally, I don't want to call attention to that because it's really only notable when you're current on the show, when you're caught up, and I don't typically discuss current events, so there's not really a huge reason to be quote-unquote current, Uh, but I'm also way over the standard gap in between shows that I normally have, and I want to share briefly why. Uh, So the last episode, episode 75, came out just before I departed on a two-week vacation Uh, two weeks off in a row that I had not had since 2004, so it had been a while since I'd had a vacation of that length. Um, I spent that time in Walt Disney World and in Universal Orlando, so the entire time within the theme park complex of Orlando, Florida, uh, also known as Where Cocktails Go to Die. Um, And then upon returning from out, now to be fair, I did find a nice rum bar on the second to last day we were there at a Universal Hotel. That rum bar is called Strong Water. And I might talk about that in a future show. But in any case, uh, when we came back from vacation, it was the week before Thanksgiving. So uh, then Thanksgiving uh, activities uh, came up. And then it was uh, another trip for a birthday in the middle of December. And then the holidays. And before you know it, we landed at two months between episodes. So actually probably two months and a couple weeks at this point. Not really happy about that. Thank you for uh, staying with me uh, and staying subscribed to the show and staying interested in the show. I did actually in the last couple of weeks get a couple of people ask me if the show was still going, which was both um, flattering and disconcerting at the same time. And yes, very much the show is still going. I uh, just had a lot going on at the end of the year. Uh, and so now hopefully we're back on track. I do actually have quite a number of shows in production. Uh, so hopefully there will not be that big of a gap uh, in the future. Now, on to the rum in this episode. So the feature rum in episode 76 is the Real McCoy 12-year Madeira and bourbon cask-aged rum. So that's kind of a mouthful. Uh, Essentially, this is the Real McCoy 12-year rum, but instead of just being the bourbon cask age, they have a little bit of special aging in that that we'll get to in a little bit. Now, I talked about Real McCoy in episode 62. You can find a link to that in the show notes or on the website under the episode guide. And that episode focused on a different offering from Real McCoy. It was Real McCoy 5. Uh, the company is still mostly the same since I talked about them, with one exception that I'll get to in a, in a bit. Uh, but for the most part, the information is is similar. So to recap about the producer, Real McCoy Spirits, uh, they are built on a legend, the legend of William or Bill McCoy, a rum runner from Prohibition. And as the story goes, Bill McCoy loaded up a boat with booze from the Caribbean, set sail for New York City, and set up shop three miles offshore as a liquor store, three miles being the international waters limit at that time. Now, furthering the legend, Bill McCoy was said to have a reputation for not messing with the rum. So he wasn't cutting it with chemicals. He wasn't diluting it. He wasn't adding uh, or putting in additives to otherwise uh, adulterate the rum. So Bill McCoy is said 
um, to, well, you can see where we're going with the real McCoy part. Bill McCoy is said to have been a non-drinker and prided himself, strangely enough, on being an honest lawbreaker. Uh, it's worth noting that McCoy wasn't exclusive to rum, uh, although that's the product we're talking about today. He also was an equal opportunity smuggler, rye, Irish, and Canadian whiskey, along with wine and other spirits. Uh, essentially, he was providing a service, and rum just happened to be one of the things that was in that service. Uh, McCoy was captured by the U.S. Coast Guard on November 23rd, 1923. He served nine months in jail, and that ended his bootlegging days. So with that, let's talk, before we get into the uh, specifics about this rum, let's let's taste the Real McCoy 12 Madeira and Bourbon Cask-Aged Rum. Now, uh, I have the bottle in front of me, not a frontal lobotomy, and a, uh, and a glass of it as well. This is the same clear glass bottle as the Real McCoy 5, but with a different label. Uh, the label contains some nicely relevant information about the rum. Uh, the stopper on the bottle is a synthetic cork, or it's actually just synthetic, it's not even simulated cork. Uh, the rum inside is a nice dark amber with a, a pretty high opacity. Um, some light is let through, but you can't really read a magazine through it if you hold that behind it. And if tilted at an angle in front of a direct light, you'll see the faint green tint of aging at the edge of the rum line. Uh, when it comes to aroma, now from the, you know from the glass, the after aeration, the rum is it's pretty hearty. There's a, some astringency wafting through the nostrils, uh, along with the wood from the barrels and a hint of leather. Um, it smells like an aged rum, not like sugar, so that's a good thing. And then after aerating it a bit, a bit more, I picked up a little bit of nuttiness on the aroma as well. Now, when it comes to taste, um, again, I have my glass here. I'm not going to sample it just right now, but there's a, uh, a nice medium to heavy body with some pleasant heat that lingers on the tongue after swirling around a bit in my mouth. There's also a, a dryness to the rum that I want to attribute to the Madeira cask, based not because I know Madeira, but from tasting four square four square rum that was aged in a Zinfandel cask. So I've had a, a four square rum aged in Zinfandel that picked up, if not the tannins, a little bit of the dryness from being uh, spending some time in that wine barrel. And I think there's something similar happening here uh, with the element of the rum that's that was aged in the Madeira cask. Um, I also pick up some spice and some barrel notes, uh, but not the vanilla that sometimes comes from oak barrels. So a lot of times if it's, you know, bourbon barrels that the rum is being aged in, one of the primary things you pick up, uh, aside from just a general woodiness, is um, a lot of vanilla or a lot of vanilla flavor. Uh, that's not the case with this rum. There's, you know, some barrel notes, some, it, it has that essence of, oh, I spent time in wood, but it's not, it's not the vanilla part that's, that's uh, predominant. Um, for finish, there's a little bit more of that dryness on the finish, and while there is some heat, it's not as long as you might expect expect from an aged 92-proof spirit, which this is. Uh, that said, it is actually a long finish that's subtle and rewarding. So if you linger between sips, the rum isn't going to 100% dissipate in your throat. So this this rum really benefits from a long, slow uh, sipping process over, you know, something you might have over a long evening where you just pour out a little bit of this rum. Um, it's not that heat that just immediately rises back up in your throat. It's kind of one that it, it sits out there for a little while and really takes a long time to go away, but it's kind of subtle in the background for a while, which I actually find really nice. Um, I do also like, you know, sort of a, a hot finish on a, on a high ABV rum, but this one has a really nice low mellow finish. Uh, to sum up, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not as well versed in Madeira, so I don't feel as though I can pick up specifically what that Madeira cask element is adding, but the combination of the rum and aging styles is quite enjoyable. Um, I've had a couple of bottles, but I don't really mix with it. I enjoy it primarily as a reasonably, quote unquote, reasonably priced sipping rum. We'll get to that in a little bit. 
Um, that said, I did have a hunch that it would work well in an eggnog recipe, adding, you know, it would add some backbone and, and some depth without being too overpowering. Uh, so that's where I took it, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, before we get to that nog, let's talk a little bit more about McCoy Spirits and specifically about this rum itself. So again, as, as a recap of what we talked about in episode 62, uh, Bailey Pryor is the founder of Real McCoy Spirits. Uh, he came to the idea for uh, the rum when producing a documentary on Bill McCoy for PBS, which I actually have on DVD, but I haven't watched yet, so shame on me. Now, while performing that research, he met Richard Seal from Foursquare Distillery, and Foursquare ended up producing Real McCoy rum. So this is a Barbados rum from the Foursquare Distillery. Uh, McCoy Spirits is upfront about production of their rum in no small part, probably because they have partnered with Richard Seal from Foursquare, who is well known for producing high quality, no nonsense rum in Barbados. Um, so why not bring that up as part of the process? You want to align yourself with someone who's producing a high quality product like that. Now, the one new thing that's happened to Real McCoy since episode 62, I read about on uh, January 5th of 2018, one of the uh, larger spirit conglomerates, Const- excuse me, Constellation Brands, has bought a minority stake in Real McCoy. You may know Constellation Brands from their uh, beer brands such as Corona, Modella, and Pacifico, or from their wine brands like Robert Mondavi, or Svedka Vodka, or Casanova Tequila. Um, I recently knew of them when they bought one of my favorite breweries, Ballast Point. Now, what does this mean for the rum? Uh, hopefully in the short term, all it means is better distribution and a little bit more visibility. Longer term, I'm not so sure. Uh, there are lots of cases where a smaller product is bought by a larger conglomerate, and in an effort to build the brand, more spirit has to be produced, and then the spirit changes, the production of the spirit changes. So please see Zacapa uh, Zacapa 23 or Zaya for two easy examples of what can happen when a, a, a rum or a spirit is bought by a larger conglomerate and distribution is increased. Uh, but that doesn't have to be the case. And as long as Richard Seal is still involved as a distiller, I'm confident the rum itself will remain solid even with the new owners. Now this rum, uh, specifically, uh, this rum is just molasses and water plus yeast. Uh, Real McCoy rums are single distilled, a combination of column and pot uh, still distillate. The pot still there is there to add body and uh, pungency and flavor with the column distillate as the backbone of the rum itself. Those two distillates are blended, um, and then the rum is aged in American oak barrels. Now, the Real McCoy 12 Madeira and cask-aged rum is based on their standard bottling of their 12-year rum, so that's 12 years in oak bourbon barrels. Of course, uh, this variant of the Real McCoy parts ways with the standard 12-year Real McCoy in that there's an additional cask which some of the rum spends its time in, and that would be the Madeira cask. Uh, Madeira is, you'll recall, um, a fortified wine from Portugal. Uh, Portugal, home of many fine fortified wines such as Port, the Port of Portugal. Uh, Madeira is produced in the Madeira Islands and has a long history that I'm not going to get too deep into. The TLDR version is that the style originated from wine that was fortified with neutral grape spirits um, and then packed onto explorer ships in the 15th and 16th century. In transit, the, the ships, uh, the, the heat and the movement of the ships caused changes to the wine, some of which were found to be favorable. Uh, those on the Madeira Islands took note of these changes, and today's more modern production method involves heating the wine and then resting the wine, somewhat, sim- stimu- or, excuse me, somewhat simulating those oldie-timey voyages. Uh, there's a lot more to learn on Madeira if you're so inclined. There's a link to the Wikipedia article in the show notes. Uh, go, go forth and listen, or go forth and learn if you're, if you're interested in, in more about Madeira. Um, so getting back to the aging for the rum, according to a well-sourced article on Cocktail Wonk, 
uh, well-sourced because, you know, Matt spoke to Richard Seal himself. Um, you can think of the whole batch of Real McCoy 12 Madeira and cask aged rum. Uh, think of that as one whole batch. And then 90% of that batch of rum ages in bourbon barrels, just like the regular 12. And then the remaining 10% of that ages in Madeira casks. And then those two are put together for bottling. So it's not a cask finish, which you see out of some rums these days where it's, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say bourbon finished because everybody's aging in bourbon barrels, but uh, sherry finished or something like that. This is a, a blend of different cask agings with the predominant uh, mix, a part of the mixture being bourbon and then a small part of Madeira just to give it a little bit, you know, different. Um, there's, a, you know, an artfulness to how these are blended. And that's where that 10% of Madeira cask aging comes in to help with that blend. Uh, for this rum, there was only three, uh, excuse me, 3,000 bottles produced. Uh, so if this rum sounds interesting to you, go out and get some before it's gone. Right now, it doesn't seem to be in that short supply. I saw it available online, and this evening I went and purchased a backup bottle for myself from a local retailer. Uh, retail is usually between $55 and $60 for a 750 milliliter bottle, which to me seems like a real fair price for this rum. It's a well-produced, well-aged rum, uh, very good for sipping. Um, and so I think at that price point, it's actually a, a pretty fair deal. Uh, it's bottled at 46% ABV also known as a 92 proof. So again, if you're so inclined, pick some up. Uh, it's not going to be out there forever, but it looks like there's still some supply out in the uh, internet world. So as I mentioned previously, one of the things I thought this rum would be good for is for, uh, to be used in an eggnog. And I'm sort of going to back my way into why I thought that was the case by um, uh, telling about the eggnog recipe that I'm using in this episode. So the eggnog recipe that I'm using about um, is from Jeffrey Morgenthaler, uh, the manager of Clyde Common, the author of the bar book. Uh, he's also the bar manager, I might be owner, I'm not quite sure, of another bar called Pepe Le Moco. Um, I'm not sure what he's you know currently doing. Those are the things that I know him for from the last couple of years up in Portland, Oregon. In any case, um, I've talked about Jeffrey Morgenthaler on the show before, um, as well as his excellent book that I talked about or that I mentioned just previously called The Bar Book which you should go get if you don't have it. There's a link to that in the show notes, of course. Um, one of the, I would say, clear driving principles of Mr. Morgenthaler is that he states in no uncertain terms that he likes things that are good and he likes things that are easy. So uh, accordingly, once I found his recipe for grenadine, I found that to be a, a very accurate description, and I haven't looked back and made any other versions of grenadine. I've only made his. Well, the same is true for his eggnog recipe. Um, in the version he published on his site in 2009, he professes a love for the nog, but doesn't like the thick grocery store edition, so he ventured to come up with his own simple recipe. And on the subject of eggnog, I definitely agree. Um, in fact, it wasn't until I ran across his recipe that I even developed much of a taste for eggnog. Even Alton Brown, whose recipes can get me to try virtually almost everything, um, ended up with a cooked custard version, mainly due to the, I believe, the safety police of the Food Network, uh, that I really couldn't bring myself to make with any regularity. So it was good, but it wasn't something I wanted to have all the time. Um, this version from Jeffrey Morgenthaler was pretty much a revelation to me. Um, please note that this is not a cooked recipe and it contains raw eggs. If that's not your thing, I don't blame you. Feel free to skip to the next chapter for a non-dairy cocktail recipe. Um, I kind of think about this recipe the way I used to think about sushi. Um, I used to think raw su or excuse me, raw fish wasn't for me. But once I looked past or got past the, well, raw materials and checked my brain at the door when I stopped thinking about it, in other words, I found I really liked it. So mostly I just don't think about the fact that I use raw eggs once the recipe is complete. Oh, and in the uh, CYA spirit, concoct this at your own discretion. 
I really don't know how clean your kitchen is nor how fresh your eggs are. Um, so, you know, you're, you know, proceed with caution. Uh, eggnog itself, eggnog is an old colonial flip with more dairy. So there's no really getting around the egg part of it. I mean, it's right there in the name, right? Now, uh, this is an eggnog. It's going to substitute in, well, we'll talk about the recipe, but it, basically there's two kinds of rum in this recipe. This, um, the version I'm presenting here, or this, this recipe is a combination of Mr. Morgenthaler's original recipe and also his version that he served at Clyde Common, which swapped his original brandy and rum combination for tequila and sherry. So I've swapped back in two kinds of rum, but I've, you know, chosen the rums with a nod to the Clyde Common variation that uses tequila and sherry. So I've tried to combine the two in a way that makes, well, it makes sense to me anyways. So the recipe is two large eggs, um, three ounces by volume, super fine or baker's sugar. Uh, the Clyde common version calls for two ounces of Anejo tequila. So in this case, I use an aged blended rum, uh, plantation five for this recipe. And again, I'm substituting an aged rum for an aged tequila, um, two and one half ounces of Amandio sherry. This is a share. Um, so instead of sherry, I used in the past, I've used a sherry finished rum or another strong rum. So for the first time I made this, I had a plantation Trinidad rum that was aged in sherry casks. So I used that. Another time I've used Clement single barrel. And in this case, I'm using the real McCoy 12 Madeira and bourbon cask aged rum. And then six ounces of whole milk and four ounces of heavy cream. Now, please note if you're going to make some of this as a batch, because you're going to have guests over, uh, just multiply, you know, each one of these ingredient amounts by the number of guests and you can do this. So what I've, I've done in the past is if I'm going to have, for instance, six people over, I might multiply this recipe by three and you, so, or multiply each ingredient by three and combine that. So this scales up really easily. Just, you know, multiply it by the quantity that you want. Now in a blender or stand mixer that's set on low speed, uh, first beat the eggs until smooth and then slowly add the sugar until it's incorporated and dissolved. Next, add the, um, the rums and the milk and the cream, and then combine that until it's, you know, you know, uh, or just mix it until it's combined and then pour that into a container and refrigerate overnight if possible. Um, I would say not even if possible, re refrigerate it overnight. Um, and it will keep in your fridge for, you know, a period of time. I, I've kept it in there for two, three weeks and I know people have kept eggnog a lot longer. And I guess it just depends on how quickly you're going to drink it. Anyways, uh, you want to chill that overnight at a minimum and then serve it in small chilled cups. And then you're going to dust that with freshly grated nutmeg before serving. Uh, in Jeffrey Morgenthaler's original recipe, he also incorporates a bit of nutmeg into the mix when he's mixing it. Um, I don't do that, but feel free to, to uh, take that route if you're so inclined. Now for the non-dairy recipe in this episode, uh, I want to bring up the Yule Tidal Wave uh, from Martin Kate Smuggler's Cove book. So this is a Essentially, it's a punch recipe. You can make a single serving of it, but it's a punch recipe. And you can tell from the name, it's got that seasonal spirit built right in. So, you know, to, to be quite frank, I wanted another holiday inspired recipe for this episode that wasn't eggnog for those that listen to the show, but aren't interested in uh, either dairy, eggs, or nog. Uh, there's actually quite a few good seasonal recipes to choose from. I've, I think I've put a couple of them on my site in the past. Uh, the Christmas Nui from a, a, a Mountain of Crushed Ice. The uh, Nutty is a Fruitcake, which I believe was uh, Mindy from, uh, formerly from Hale Pele. I think that was her recipe. There's a lot of good recipes out there that feature rum and our seasonal recipes, but I landed this time on the Yule Tidal Wave. Uh, this is one, you know, maybe perhaps because I hadn't tried it yet, that was one of the driving factors. Uh, like I mentioned, this one is designed as a punch. 
Uh, so again, you'll multiply the amount of each ingredient by the number of guests you're expecting if you're going to make this for a crowd or, you know, just make the one if you're by yourself. Uh, most punch recipes are flexible like that to a point. Uh, one small bit of advice when you're concocting a punch or if you want to scale something up as though it were a punch, um, when you get to measuring something like bitters that are in a dash, don't just automatically multiply the number of dashes of bitters by the number of servings. Um, add everything else together and then add the bitters last and do it in small doses and then sample the punch a bit as you go along to make sure you're achieving the balance that you're looking for from the bitters. Remember, bitters are in most recipes, I mean, Trinidad sours and things like that notwithstanding, bitters are there to sort of elevate the drink and sort of bind it together. Um, they're not really there to be at the forefront. So what you want to do is add the bitters a little bit at a time, sample it, make sure you get to that balance you're looking for, and then stop. Don't worry. If you're making you know, 80 servings of something, don't worry about 80 dashes. Just dash in until it tastes like what you're looking for. Now, luckily, all that being said, there's no bitters in this recipe, so you're off the hook for now. Uh, the Yule Tidal Wave, the recipe for the Yule Tidal Wave is two ounces of pineapple juice, one ounce of fresh lemon juice, one half ounce of pear liqueur. Uh, this is, I'm using the Mathilda pear liqueur. One half ounce of liqueur 43, one quarter ounce of allspice dram, one half ounce of brandy, one ounce of bourbon, I'm using Maker's Mark, and one ounce of column still aged rum, I'm using Angostura 7. So again, multiply the ingredient quantities by the number of guests, combine all of those ingredients into a container, uh, whisk or shake them together, and then seal that container and then place in the refrigerator for at least one to two hours before serving. Um, the reason for doing that is you want to get the punch chilled so it doesn't hit the ice and automatically dilute. You're trying to con control dilution by, uh, by chilling it ahead of time. Um, after you've, you know, you've left in for one or two hours or even up to overnight, which is what I did for the, for the uh, cocktail in this episode, add, uh, the, add large blocks of ice to that container or move the, uh, ingredients to, or not the ingredients, move the mixture to a punch bowl add a block of ice, and then chill it that way. Um, serve it to your guests in small cups or give your guests small cups with ice available. So if they want to add more dilution or if they want ice in their punch cups, they can add it if, if that's desired for them. I found that you can also make a nice, you know, single serving this punch by combining the ingredients in a shaker tin, shake that with ice cubes, and then strain that into a tiki mug with fresh ice cubes and serve it that way. Uh, you'll see a picture of, um, the, of it served in the show notes. Uh, that's from a mixture. That's not from the single serving, but either way, it came out pretty well. Um, tasting this cocktail, you'll notice from the ingredient list that there are a couple of spice elements that really, you know, sort of add that holiday flair. Now, the first things I noticed, the bourbon and the sweetness from the pineapple juice uh, was, again, that was what I noticed first. Then I got the tartness from the lemon and then the spice elements. And then the rum, at least the rum that I chose, the Angostura 7, kind of took a back seat in the mix, but it's okay because the overall punch is really well put together. Um, and in a way, that's what you're looking for in this kind of recipe. No one ingredient should dominate in a punch. Um, and the supporting players are important too. So it's not like it's just sort of lost in the background. It's doing what it needs to do. It's just not the featured player. I can safely recommend this punch any time of year, uh, but it's probably most welcome in winter. And you know what? Why not serve it at your uh, Super Bowl party and see who ends up caring about the game by the time the second quarter rolls around? I think you'll be pretty pleased with the results. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe there, rate the show there, and even leave a review there. 
The show is also on Twitter and Instagram as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol number five minutes of rum. Please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, and requests via the five minutes of rum website or on Twitter or on Instagram. Goodbye forever until next time. And now go get some rum.